0: Let us pray. Holy Spirit, you promised to meet us wherever we are. And so this morning we pray, pray, be in this place, for if you are not, then nothing else matters. And if you are, then nothing else matters. Let the people of God together say, amen. Hear these words that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, starting in the 13th chapter with verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. The commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. The night is far gone and the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not reveling in drunkenness or debauchery or licentiousness, not quarreling or in jealousy, Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Hear these words from Romans again from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Don't run up debts except for a huge debt of love you owe each other. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along. The law code, don't sleep with another person's spouse, don't take someone else's life, don't take what isn't yours, and don't always be wanting what you don't have. Any other don't you can think of finally adds up to this. Love other people as well as you love yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. But make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted and taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on salvation, the work he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. We must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, and sleeping around and in dispensation, and bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My worst nightmare is missing my morning alarm. You know that scene in the first home alone when the power goes out and they all sleep in until the airport carrier rings the doorbell and they wake up. I am more anxious in that moment than I am watching any horror film and and I don't even watch scary movies. I love the urgency of this message about waking up and get going that Paul gives the church in Rome. Now's the time for you to wake from sleep. Now I, when I get out of bed, I don't get dressed immediately, but I do wake up early and I get to my routine so that I can have my coffee and my quiet. I see some heads nodding. Then as the whole house wakes up, there are teeth and hair to brush, there are vitamins to take, there's a breakfast myriad of choices that no one wants. Thank goodness summer affords us a little break from that urgency. You remember those days, don't you? The morning rush, the urgency to get out the door. You know how all those graduation speeches tell you that you're supposed to do one thing every morning. Do you know what it is? It's the one thing you can accomplish. I see you all, yes, make your bed. Sometimes I'm convinced that there are two types of people out there. Those who do get up with energy and purpose and make their beds every morning and then there's the rest of you. (laughs) There are a few people in my house who do not abide by these rules and well, we're working on it, we're working on it. Urgency at our house is really geared toward the mundane, but necessary, but not all urgency is the same. Urgency is likely different for the folks in Canada, right? Where all these wildfires are raging. Or for anywhere up north, kids in Ohio can't go outside for more than a few minutes because the air quality is that bad. What about people who are living in fear still boarding up their windows because hurricane season has lasted well beyond its normal parameters? In fact, I think a lot of urgency is usually born from anticipation, which is the case for Paul's urgency here in Rome. Paul's urgency has more to do with anticipating Christ coming back than getting up out of bed so you can have your quiet time. This biblical urgency has much more immediacy to it. I love how the message translation puts in that last verse of the passage, get out of bed and get dressed. This this sounds like something I say a lot. Don't loiter and linger waiting until the very last minute. This is what I tell myself inwardly every time I write a sermon dress yourselves in Christ, be up, be about. You know, early in Paul's ministry, there was this expectation of Christ's imminent return. We see this in the very first letter written to churches in the New Testament. It's the very first book, the oldest book in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians. Paul's language to the church in Thessalonica is urgent and persistent. He writes, now brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware or uninformed concerning the times and the seasons, for you yourselves know the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. So let us not fall asleep as others do. Can't you hear that same echo in Romans? Get out of bed, get dressed, don't loiter and linger, don't wait until the very last minute, dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. You all got the memo because you're here. Besides the urgency that's required for getting out of bed and starting your day, what does urgency look like for us these days? Do you feel an urgency for our political sphere to calm down and level out? Do you feel an urgency around climate change now that the storms are stronger, the floods are worse, winters are colder, summers are hotter, all because it's warming up way too quickly? Do you feel an urgency for us to get a handle on guns with these mass shootings so that normal things like going to church and going to school could be safe? Do you feel an urgency around taking care of your children or maybe taking care of your parents? What does urgency look like for people of faith right now? What kind of urgency do we feel, or should we feel, if we knew that Christ was coming back soon? Doug Bratt is an adjunct professor at Calvin Seminary, and he asks, would any of us feel any urgency to rearrange our priorities if we knew Christ was returning tomorrow? Would we as Christians look at things any differently? Would we treat people any differently if we knew exactly when Christ was going to come back? With apologies to Dr. Bratt, I need more than one day to change my priorities. The only things, if I were told that Christ was coming back tomorrow that would probably be accomplished would I'd be frantically cleaning my house and doing laundry, neither of which are real priorities. So I think maybe let's play around with the idea that Christ could be coming back anytime in August, (laughs) right? Like this gives us enough time to be anxious and worry like some of us are really good at doing, but not too much time for it to dissipate. Would urgency like that have us mending our fences and burying our hatchets? Would urgency like this have us tear down our walls and get around to building the bridges? Paul's warning is for us to stay awake. Don't fall asleep. He wants us to pay attention to what's going on around us to get up and make your bed. Okay, okay. all right, I'll stop that. If you don't make your bed, you're still in the kingdom. None of us, of course, know when Christ is coming back. And Paul's urgency just doesn't have that same authoritative tone of immediacy that it had with his early churches. His first century Jewish apocalyptic lens colors his message to his congregants. The messianic return, you see, would set things right. It would overthrow all empires for once and all. It would bring a new age, it would usher in peace. Behave as though this were it, because this is it. Jesus is coming back and there's no time to waste in behaviors and lifestyles that don't mirror the compassion and mercy of Christ. One of the workout trainers where I go to the gym Lamar Tilson has a training program that he calls The Time Is Now. And I think if Paul were to go work out with me, he would work out in one of Lamar's t-shirts. Because Paul is very aware and he believes that he lives in this short in-between time of transition between Christ's ascension and his very soon return. So in the meantime, he tells them, while you wait in that anticipation, be about transforming work. Be about the things that take place when you have the power of Christ in you. Get up and dress yourselves with Christ so that everywhere you go, that is what people see and notice. Now we know that looking back throughout history in times of crisis, it is often Christians who respond, who have been there on the front lines with the sick and the dying, the poor and the hungry. In his book, God and the Pandemic, N.T. Wright points out how in Acts, when that newly formed community of Jesus followers heard about a famine, they didn't sit around and try to figure out what had gone wrong. They didn't spend time thinking, why is this happening to us? Is this because we've sinned? Instead, their response was urgent and immediate. How can we help and who from our community can we send? For those first Christians, urgency was expressed in immediate action. Responsibility and ethic became the way to respond immediately in love don't run up debts except for the huge debt of love you owe one another when you love others you complete the law and what it has been after all this time and that is perhaps our greatest obligation what paul calls our debt of love It may sound simple, but truly it is the greatest and hardest and most important work that we will ever do with our short time between life, birth, and death. I have a friend in Tennessee who gave his church the same benediction every single week. He would tell them, go out from this place loving one another It's all that easy and it's all that hard. Putting on Christ, clothing ourselves with him is one of Paul's best metaphors. He uses it too in his letter to the Colossians saying, above all, clothe yourselves in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the love that defines the Christian community It is to be our identity marker. So when people see that 150th decal with the tree and the beautiful leaves on our cars, we want people to think, oh, that person has love to give. I hope they see us volunteering at the soup kitchen or safe harbor and think, oh, I I wanna live out love like that. We should hope that the people who sit next to us when we're in a board meeting for Exodus or Hickory Public Schools and think, oh, let's make decisions like that in love. I hope this community would see us ringing the bell at Christmas time for Salvation Army or bringing supplies for the Family Care Center during VBS week and think, oh, I, I can give away more love i hope when they see us sitting on wednesday nights with our tailgate chairs listening to music or when they see us on the patio after worship eating cookies and they think oh look look how they love each other i hope they see us at our desks and our computers and our schools i hope they see us shopping for groceries and think oh what Great debt of love. The writer Annie Dillard says, day by day, you have to give the work before you all the best stuff you have, not saving up for later projects. If you give freely, there will always be more. I think Paul would agree with her. His urgency pushes us to live each day willing to give each other the love, willing to give each other the love we were created for and that we trust there will always be more. When our kids were little, we we got books from Dolly Parton. She sent them to us directly from her house, you know. And one of the books was about this little dog who fears that there is not enough love when the family adopts a cat. And so the dog does mean things to the cat. Until one day, the dog accidentally gets shut in the barn. And who do you think saves him? The cat. And so the owners tell the dog at the end, there is more than enough love to go around. owe no one anything except to love one another. You see, love isn't just a sentiment or a feeling, love is an ethic for Paul, as old as Leviticus. Love becomes the way of life, love becomes the Christian lens in which to see the world. Love becomes a praxis of subversion. I love the word praxis because it makes me feel smart. But really love as praxis just means doing something. Love as praxis means we move beyond theory and move beyond feeling. We move beyond thoughts and prayers. We embrace responsibility and ethic. We move into action so that it becomes our custom. I mean, think about it that way, love as custom as something we do and that is expected that all of us would do naturally. So here is the urgency and the immediacy for us. Look around. The world right now needs us racking up a debt of love. The world needs to see us take up the obligation and duty to love each other in all that we do because the world needs the love of Christ, which binds us together in perfect harmony. So get up, get dressed, be about that love today. This is urgent. The time is now. In the name of the one who will come again, amen.